So as I was in the classroom with the little kids, I would ask them, do you want to be a goat or do you want to be a sheep today? Sheep go over here and goats go over there, and they'd pick their side. And then we'd read the story, and then afterward I would ask them again, have you changed your mind? Do you want to be a goat or do you want to be a sheep this morning? Well, the same goes for you all. And you might be already clued into what area of scripture we are in, but if you haven't got the hint yet, we're in Matthew 25. So if you would turn to Matthew 25, verse 31 is where we're going to start. And Jesus is speaking here, and he's been talking to his disciples in parable, and he's been teaching on all sorts of things, and he comes to uh, verse 31 here, and he says, the sheep and the goats. So that's where we're going to pick up, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Who here is waiting for that day? I am. I'm waiting for the Son of Man to come in all his glory and angels. Um, But there's going to be people that are not ready. Let's keep reading. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Ah, I think you know what you want to be already. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by the Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or need clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, these are the goats, people, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and I was in prison and you did not look after me. Then also will answer, Lord, when did When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So y'all know what you want to be. You want to be the sheep. (laughs) You want to be the sheep and you want to go to heaven and live with Jesus forever. Let's take a look, though, at 
verse 40. Who are the least of these? Uh, The king replied, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine you did for me. Now, there's sort of been kind of a, the least of these phrases used a lot, a lot in the church, um, just to really refer to people that are needy, right? That need something, whether they need clothes or food or um, salvation, the least of these. And, but here, specifically in chapter 25, Jesus appears to be talking more about the least of these among you. So he refers to brothers and sisters and the King James brethren. And when he uses that phrase, he's either talking about his actual biological brothers or he's talking about his spiritual family. Earlier in Matthew, in verse 12, he actually had a little blurb and teaching about who his brothers and sisters were. And in, in um, Matthew 12, verse 48 through 50, it says, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. So Jesus talks and teaches previously on who his family is, and he's referring to the spiritual family. Whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is his spiritual brother and sister. So throughout Matthew, when he refers to brothers, brethren, he's referring to the family of God. And in the family of God, whether in your local church or globally, who are the least of these referring to in in Um, chapter 25. Well, we have the needy and the poor. It it says, you know, needing food, needing water, the needy and the poor. There will be poor among us. So there'll be needy and poor. The stranger, the traveler, during this time when Jesus was traveling with his disciples, as well as when Jesus died and ascended to heaven and the disciples were in charge of you know, sharing the good news. There were a lot of missionaries, you know, traveling, sharing the word of God. And, you know, he was almost telling the people already, like, be prepared. There's going to be people in your town, missionaries, if you will. Invite them in. Foreigners, invite them in. Um, the sick and disabled. It says right here, you know, who were sick. So there, apparently there's going to be sick among us too, right? Within the body of Christ. Take care of the sick. Take care of the disabled. The falsely accused are those who are in prison. You know, we know later that a lot of Jesus' followers of the way were put into prison at some point, imprisoned for their faith. Uh, Throughout the world yet, there's many believers that are being imprisoned for their faith in Jesus Christ. So he's saying, take care of them. When you take care of the needy, the poor, the traveler, the sick, those who are being persecuted and put into jail, you're doing it unto me, unto Jesus. And, you know, this is kind of a a slight debate. You know, do you take care, do you take your resources as a church and take care of those among you? Or do you take care of, the needy, the poor, amongst them, the unbelieving world. 
more in the global mission mindset. And I don't think there's an or in the Bible. I think there's an and. And when you look at the context of the Bible, not just Matthew 25, when you look, you know, Genesis to Revelation, dropped a pen. When you look um, from Genesis to Revelation, you see that there is a theme of not or, but an and. Jesus calls us to take care of those among us and the unbelieving world. And I think it was Pastor Mike that said in his previous series here on generosity that there's over 2,000 verses in Scripture referring to generosity, that theme of giving, money, greed, stewardship, um, all of that, over 2,000 verses in the Bible on that. And so obviously there's a theme throughout Scripture on taking care of both, yes, the brothers and sisters among us and those who are of the unbelieving world. I think the best one I found, and I put it up here to kind of sum that and mission up, is in Galatians 6.10. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the believers of the family of God. So you can see in this scripture that kind of beautifully sums up that call to the church people, to the body of Christ, to do good to all people, especially those among you. And the people among us, is it appears who he was talking to and about in Matthew 25. I put, I put uh, insert in your bulletin from um, the Voice of Martyrs, and it's ways to pray for the persecuted church. Next week, I guess, is a, a week that they call everyone to pray. You know, there's kind of a day of prayer for different things. Well, next week, next Sunday, is the day of prayer for the persecuted church. Uh, the Voice of Martyrs is a great great mission to follow. You can go to their website and check out the stories from all over the globe of the persecuted church. And there's a handout in your bulletin of how you can pray. Do you ever go and just think problems are so big and so large you don't even know how you began? Well, I like to go to my prayer language in those times, and that's great too. But real specific ways to pray for the persecuted church. And you know, when I was praying about what to, you know, speak on today and coming off of Pastor Mike's generosity series, I would just encourage you, if you missed a few weeks of church here, go onto our Victory YouTube channel and watch those from Pastor Mike those previous weeks because that was really my heart um, coming after him in this, in this message. You know, generosity is a product of a heart change. How many of you know that? Generosity is a product of a heart change. How many of you have set out to do something in your will? Like you made up your mind to do something. I've done that, right? Um, I'm going to use what Pastor Mike said the other day. He said, you know, I made up my mind that I was going to walk and I was going to drink more water three years ago. And and we do that, right? We do that. We just go, you know what, tomorrow, dang it, I'm going to do this. 
and whatever it is that, it, that you want to do. And it's, it's your will. You're making up your mind to do something. But our decision of the will will always be shaken. Our decision of the will will always be shaken if the Holy Spirit has not changed our heart. Amen? And that's, that is the core of this thing of caring and giving to those in need to join the mission of the global church is a matter of your heart being broken and changed, not a momentary decision of the will or even a momentary guilt. You know, we've all done that too, where you're just like, ooh, that kind of hurt, and so you know what, I'm going to drop this 20 in the bucket, you know, kind of almost just to get, you know, get that guilt um, off of our conscience. Well, you know, God knows our hearts, and that's fine that you did that, but that's not going to change your behavior. Your behavior isn't changed by a decision of the will. And then I had a moment. You know, generosity is a product of the heart. And there were two things that Pastor Mike said in the last four weeks. Well, there were a lot of good things Pastor Mike said in the last four weeks. But the two things that really stuck with me that he mentioned in the last few weeks. And it's on slide eight. Um, The question isn't how much should I give, but rather how much of this should I keep? Oh, that stuck with me. Like when, you you know, Pastor Mike, like the foundation of the tithe in the Old Testament, that 10%. And then he took us to the New Testament, and we see how that was just like almost understood. Like that was just like a basic thing. And that the, you know, new believers just moved out of generosity. They were kind of this community of believers in Acts the first believers that just took care of each other and then took care of the world around them. It was just, it was by nature, the mission of the church. Um, And so when he said that, it just really kind of changed my thinking. You know, I grew up in the church. I'll be vulnerable for a second. I grew up in the church. A tithe was just like, yeah, that's just what we do. I don't know, you know, that's just what you do. (laughs) And, you know, like brushing your teeth in the morning, you know, when you get your lifeguard checked, you know, when you're 15, you just tithe. That's just what you do, right? Well, that's how I was growing up. I know this is not how everyone is. But when Pastor Mike said, no, just think of that as, that was the Old Testament, but what we really should be asking ourselves is, how much of the 90% even should we even keep? What do we really need? Oh, and this is coming after, this is coming after I had um, a moment two months ago. It was early September. And I was, I was driving to Marshall, and it was, one of those, it was one of those days that I got to drive to Marshall without children for some reason, and I was just going to go grocery shopping. And so I was alone. I'm on my way to Marshall. I'm going to stop at, to get groceries. And then um, after I got groceries, I pulled through a coffee shop and got a coffee. And I was on my way home. And I was just struck in the silence of my car, which is a little phrase, a little thing in my head said, are you enjoying this privilege? Are you enjoying this privilege? And I stopped and 
tears, just immediate tears. And I was thinking, you know, I just spent four fifty on a cup of coffee. <laughs> and I'm driving home, and I don't think the Holy Spirit wanted me to feel guilty about the co- coffee, more so in the fact that the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart because it had been ages. And in church, I mean, I'm ages since I had weeped for the least at least. So in my car, on my way home, dang it, I knew I was going to do that. Um, in my car, drinking my $450 cup of coffee, and the Holy Spirit said, are you enjoying this privilege? Because let me tell you, it is a privilege that morning for me to get in a warm car, get groceries in a grocery store, buy my $450 cup of coffee with the fluff and drive home to my, to my home. It was. And the thing is, is um, the Holy Spirit just, just touched my heart because I have weeped for the least of these. I have interceded for the least of these. And it had been way too long since I had confronted the hurt of the least of these. And um, around the world, around the world, 245 million, this is slide nine, Christians face persecution. 245 million people face persecution. Worldwide, that would be one in nine Christians. So look around you all. One in nine face persecution. And that could be persecution from family being disowned. That could be discrimination in the workplace. That could be physical persecution. Um, That can look different depending on the culture and the country you're in. But it is dangerous to be a Christian worldwide in many countries. In many countries. There's kind of a top 50 countries worldwide that it's, you know, they flag as, you know, risk countries to be a Christian, and these people are risking their lives to follow the way, the way of Jesus Christ, and that just broke my heart. You know, I went on the Voice of the Voice of the Martyrs website, of course, and I, you know, you can do that too. Go on and watch the videos of people being persecuted, of family members being killed, all because I've chosen to follow this Jesus. You know, I've, I've had a few heartbreaking experiences, and the thing is, is we can get so caught up in our culture, we can get so absorbed in the culture that we're living in, that we forget about the least of these. And that's the thing. You know, when we send out short-term mission trips, I knew this going when I was younger, um, I knew that I know this as a youth leader. When you send out a team to go to a country, yes, you're helping them. Don't get me wrong. You're painting their building. You're praying for them. You're encouraging them. But really, I know that who's being changed most is the ones that are going. You know, we are going, but the experience is changing our hearts. The missionaries there are ministering to us. The people there are changing our lives often much more than we are changing theirs. And there's, 
when we send out a short-term mission trip, this is really my heart. When I pray over the teens that are going, I pray that they would have a heart-wrenching experience that would change the course of their lives, that they would be missionally minded. Really. Because, again, the decision of the will will be short-term, but a changed heart will be lifelong. So when we're looking at missionally-minded people among us, that's always my prayer. And I've had a couple experiences that have, have broke my heart for the least of these. Um, when I was a teenager here, y'all sent me out on um, a Mexico missions trip, you know, to Paul and Elaine Swift down at Casa Holgar. That was a common mission trip when we were younger. Um, and it took me a while because, you know, I was just like anybody else. I was like innately selfish as a 17-year-old girl. <laughs> I just was. Like, when you look back at yourself, do you ever just go, dang it, I was kind of snotty. Like, Lord, no, Mom, don't say amen. I, <laughs> but I was. I was just, I, I was a typical, I, I shouldn't say typical. Some of you all are not like that. But I was in moments very selfish, very selfish, very inward. I mean, I just was. <laughs> and we went down to Mexico, and um, I remember there was a few of us from that team, a few of us that went up to this dump site where the garbages were being brought to the dump site. And, um, you know, trucks would come in, and they would unload their garbage. And then amongst the garbage was these little kids uh, picking through the trash. And they were picking through the trash, to find recyclables, to find certain items that they could get a few cents for. And they were dirty, and they were stinky. And I remember, you know, kind of biting your lip like you do at, at the dentist, you know, where you're biting your lips so you didn't kind of gag at the smell, you know. And it was just hold yourself together, be the love of Jesus, smile and love these kids. And this was their day-to-day, picking through the trash, these aren't obviously pictures I took because of sensitivity. I just took some off the internet. But this is what it was like, you know, picking through the trash of dump. Day after day, they had their homes were huts. Some of them were believers. Some of them were like the Matthew 25, the brothers and sisters. Some of them were brothers and sisters because of the missionaries like Paul and Elaine and their crew who were ministering to these families. Some of them were brothers and sisters in Christ, and some of them were lost yet. They didn't know Jesus, but they're picking through the trash to find recyclables. It didn't, you know, the moment was raw as a 17-year-old girl, but the effect of that moment did actually not really hit me till later. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but, like, I, my heart wasn't really changed in the moment. It was the kind of years after that. So that, that, that's a picture that I have. Like, in the moments in my car where the Holy Spirit says, Remember this privilege? That's an image I get in my mind when I think about the least of these as these children in the dumps, picking through garbage. Oh, Another experience I had that broke my heart multiple times, but the first time was in college. Uh, I went on a mission trip to Bangkok, Thailand. Many of you know that. And then we went again with a crew here from Victory years later. But I went to Bangkok, Thailand. I was 21 in college, and we went into the brothels with Nightlight Ministry. 
to minister to women who were caught in the lifestyle of prostitution. So we would go into the brothels with the nightlight ministries, and the evening that I went into the brothels, um, and again, you're biting your lip. I'm just a Midwestern girl from, well, here, and I'm going into a brothel, again, biting my lip until it bleeds, just like, yeah, okay, just blend in. And we go sit down and we buy the, the women um, time so we give them money so we can speak to the women. And this is a moment that floods my mind when I think about the least of these. Here is a girl. Uh, she speaks Thai, a little bit of broken English. A lot of her clientele obviously are English-speaking men. So she speaks a little bit of English, and we buy her her time, and the nightlight staff and I are talking to her, but this girl is, has braces on. She's probably 17 years old. So here I am sitting there as a 21, I think I was almost 21-year-old, sitting by a 17-year-old girl that just had no, no place to be up there on the dance floor being bought at hourly rates. And I I looked at her and we talked to her. And Nightlight has a whole kind of relationship evangelism model where they build relationships with these women. And then over time, the trust is built. And then over time, um, Nightlight offers them a job at Nightlight making jewelry. And now they have a coffee shop and they're kind of expanding their brand a little bit. But um, they offer them a job to come out of this lifestyle. But that moment, that moment in time sticks with me forever. That girl, I can still see her face. I can still see her face. And the thing about it is, um, that was just one. That was just one drop in a bucket of people that are hurting, poor. And because of poverty, that girl is in that brothel. She's from a little, you know, a lot of times it's really impoverished and they go into the city looking for work. And obviously they're vulnerable, uneducated women that end up in the hands of people that take advantage of them. So because of poverty, she's in the city working that lifestyle. And I remember just, I, that, that hit me that moment. You know, the Mexico thing didn't hit me immediately. But the Bangkok thing hit me. I remember going back to my pillow that night and just tears. You know, who am I? I'm the privilege of being born in America in a Christian home is so humbling. But it's not a surprise. It's not a surprise to Jesus. It's not a surprise to God. He weeps, and it's not wasn't his plan from the beginning. It wasn't his plan for humanity to have to sell their bodies and and go hungry. It wasn't his plan, but you know who, what the solution is? Us. Jesus, through us. And so, Jesus, through us, is the answer for the hopeless. And there, you know, I, you know so as I'm preparing this message, I'm thinking, what does that look like? What does that look like for us here in Belton? Well, how about the ones just, I think Jesus says to take care of those in the body first because we should be the example for the rest, right? Like if we're a broken, hurting um, people, 
That's not exactly attractive, right? We don't have much to give. So look at your neighbor. Look at your neighbor. Are they hurting? Look at the widow that just lost their husband. Does she need a meal? Look at the neighbor down the street that lost her husband last year. Does she need her driveway shoveled? Look at at the family that's taking in foster children. Do they need some diapers? Look at the, um, you get it. (laughs) Look at the people sitting next to you first and say, do they need something that I have? I'm guilty I don't do that either. I'm not, we here, me included, look at our neighbors. And then from there, it says from there, then do good to the world. From there, you know, I, I, I listed, um, I'm going to go in a little bit different order. If you go to slide 12, it's the ministry's victory supports. Now, this does excite me. We support a lot of ministries, okay? And good ministries, ones that the elders have prayed over and invested time into, you know, researching. And we, we do support a number of ministries, and ministries abroad, and then ministries right in our back door, like Hope Harbor and True Light Christian School. So we have ministries we support. And it's something that, start there, start there, start there. Just this past week, we had a woman call Victory who didn't have any food in her refrigerator. Now, we don't go through a vetting process of whether we give her money or not, but Pastor Mike goes up and goes to Hy-Vee and buys this woman a bunch of food. That's the least of these right here in Ballotin. She didn't have food. He went up and bought her food. Who bought her food? Y'all bought her food. And there's so many things. There's so many things like that that you don't get to see. There's so many things like that that you don't get to see. Um, That gets done because the body of believers, you and I, believe in the mission of the church. And I just want you to hear that because, you know, it's not as glamorous to know that your money's, you know, buying toilet paper for the bathroom. Well, yes, we need that, you know, and to pay these people like me, you know, that isn't as glamorous. But know that, that the leadership takes your tithes and your offerings seriously and are doing good, are giving to ministries, are giving to women to call, who are giving to the widow, putting propane in gas tanks. Know that Our heart is to do good for those in need. And maybe you've never, ever had your heart broken for the least of these. In my preparation for today, that was my prayer. I know that's kind of heavy. Yeah, I prayed that God would break your heart. (laughs) Sorry. I really am fun sometimes, but <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just can't help it. Like, when Pastor Mike talks about generosity the last four weeks, you might do it once or twice if you felt a little guilty. But if your heart doesn't break for the least of these, 
for the kids in the dumps and the prostitutes in Bangkok and the widow next door and the lady uptown here that needs some gas. If your heart doesn't break for it, your behavior will not change in the long run. And so I'm just asking you, would you even ask that of the Lord? Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. And then you might have some moments in the car, like I do, where you get humbled by the Holy Spirit himself, and you realize, and you go home, and you got to sit down with your husband and your spouse and go, let's get practical, dang it. Like, let's look at our budget. Maybe we could watch a movie on Netflix instead of go out to eat and send our 50 bucks to Nightlight this month. Really? I mean, maybe our family in December could go, you know what, I think we have enough clothes. Y'all got underwear and socks. Let's make sure we don't have holes in those places. But once that's covered, <laughs> bless you. Yeah, I won't go down that road. But once that's covered, once that's covered, why don't we decide in December, we're not buying one dang thing for ourselves. Not one. We're not putting it in the budget this month. We don't need another sweater You don't need your Ugg boots. And let's take our $100 that we budgeted for clothes this month and let's give it to the church. We've never given to the church before. That would be radical. Let's give this 100 bucks to the church because I believe in the mission of Jesus Christ and what they're doing. Get practical. Casey, get practical. Because you'll get practical when your heart breaks for those that don't have. And generosity is great, and the series on generosity is wonderful, but again, it's not going to happen if your heart is not changed. So slide number 11. (laughs) We'll go backwards. What can you do? You can pray. There's a, you know, I don't diminish your prayers, but you know what? Me crying up here doesn't help those people out there. I mean, unless you're put on your knees in prayer, pray for the persecuted church. Pray for those among us who don't have. A a prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective, right? The word of God says pray for others. So pray. Give of your time and your resources. I just want to just... Mm, I hate to do this because I'm going to leave people out, but I just got to say it. There's people here that give so much time. Bob Blusfield, he's been a warrior over here setting up our church. You know, you come in here and you sit down, but half of this building is shut down during the week, and it's always here set up for us. Thank you. Thank you. And there's, it's always clean. Elizabeth Hoff does a wonderful job cleaning our church. Isn't that wonderful? And people... Put the coffee on early in the morning. Thank you. What does it mean to be a leader in the church? It means to be a servant in the church. And that's why we are so gifted here at Victory because you're a lot of service-minded people. And so there's things that are getting done. So give of your time and your talents. Go to your food shelves. Get your family involved. Give your coats to the neighbors if they need your coats. Give. Love the vulnerable amongst you. In your neighborhoods. This one convicted me. This one convicted me. You know the kids in the class that maybe you discourage your children from being best friends with? That's terrible, I know. But you know you're just like, ooh, so rough 
you know, those are the ones to have over. I mean, with boundaries, with supervision at your home, (laughs) have over, okay? The language, well, you can fix that. We've already done that. Okay, so bring them in. The vulnerable are the ones that are getting preyed on for things like human trafficking. Bring them in. And finally, you know, a lot of times we just think about money. The prayer, the time, the resources, that's all wonderful. And, of course, there's the finances. Give of your finances. Whatever the Holy Spirit has placed on your heart, whichever way that your heart was broken and you desire to give, give. And if we do that, church, we will be the hands and feet the ones that Jesus said in, in, in Matthew 25 to be. And when the Son of God comes with his angels, we're all going to be the sheep, right? And I'm excited for that day. And I'm also so excited to see no more sadness, no more poverty, no more brokenness, no more human trafficking. <sighs> the world will be made, made right when Jesus comes again. Amen. So let's pray. Lord, I just, oh, I'm so convicted by your Holy Spirit. I love that. It hurts. I love it because that's how you challenge us. Lord, and I just pray that you would challenge us. But first and foremost, I just pray that our hearts would be broken for the least of these. Lord, and that's among us and globally, Lord, that you would place on our heart even now how we could give. Lord, forgive me, forgive us when we hoard in times of shortage rather than give generously with a grateful heart. Lord, I pray that we would never forget, Lord, the overwhelming message of your word from cover to cover about generosity, giving, stewardship. Lord, that we could be moved with compassion. Like you saw the sick, you were moved with compassion. I pray that we would be moved out of compassion for the lost. And Lord, I pray that there'd be no guilt and condemnation, Lord, but only a sharpening within us and a response to your Holy Spirit. We ask all of these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.